I do want to thank those of you who have been praying for the church and, and me particularly in these, in these weeks going into this series with the topic of, that we're talking about. It, it kind of, we're talking about spiritual in, involvement. And I, I think I might have had one of those moments. I, two weeks ago, I went and visited my father down in San Antonio, and it was a particularly difficult visit. He's 89 years old, and, and he's just slipping away uh, slowly and in a, in a most cruel way in a lot of ways. So I go down there and work on his house and, and visit with him. And somehow, I don't know why, but uh, on this particular engagement, I, I felt like the sorrow stabbed really deep into me. And on my way home and for the next two days, I was sliding into a, way past the blues and into a darkness. And at the end of the two days, I was walking out in the backyard and I was at the top of the steps of the deck, just like three or four steps down. And I remember specifically feeling like the Lord was saying, the good grief is behind you. And now you're just holding on. You have turned this into sulking. And then by the time I got to the last step, I thought, I chose, I choose sulking. The moment of grief had passed, but for, I don't know why you want to hold on to this, but I, I, I wanted to stay melancholy. And you can't imagine what it would be like to live with me in those days. I mean, Melinda did all that she could to bring the sun out and, and bring, you know, brightness into my life. And I just kept putting the shades down. I don't want it. I want to stay this way. And the, the point I'm saying here is I, I chose, I chose this. And that's one of the reasons we're calling the series Perspective, that we see strongholds in our life, that we choose to go past grief and go into sulking, poor me, poor, poor me. And then finally, I heard, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And I did. But it's a choice. You give the devil a stronghold. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about giving permission, an open door, come on in. He only has the authority that we give him in our life. And today, today we're going to talk about how to get the enemy out of our lives, how to win in this thing we call spiritual warfare, how to break down strongholds. And today we're going to talk particularly about strongholds in, in the context of our nature, not our nurture, okay? Not the, maybe something we experience that you can get strongholds in the, the context of maybe being a victim of something, but we're talking about the way we're made or bent. Let me give you an example. You can grow up in a, in a family that has, that kind of scores you constantly. The, air, the, the mood there is a performance review all the time. And if that's your background, it would be very easy for you to believe in the lie that you have to earn God's love, right? That makes sense. But you could be raised in a, a grace-based family and still have this bent towards just being driven and feeling like you're giving yourself a performance review and probably everyone else too. That's usually how it goes. And, and the point is you could still, in that context, just because of your bent, you could be easy prey to, to the lie that you have to earn God's love. Now, if you, if you think about this, if you grew up in a family with performance reviews and you have a bent towards performance review, 
you're going to have to spend a lot of your life making sure you, you hold every thought captive so that you don't go build a stronghold based on lies. So here, here's, a, here's, a, here's my point. There, there's a person in the Bible that it comes from an amazing family, right? I mean, the perfect parents, the, the only two people that have ever seen the face of God and lived, Adam and Eve. And the firstborn child is born with a bent, Cain. And the story goes in Genesis chapter 4 that Cain and then later his little brother are adults, and they both give sacrifices of gratitude towards the Lord. But Cain's is somehow contaminated and rejected. It's not approved by God. And then the passage says, and then Cain lost its temper and went into a sulk. And then God comes and speaks to Cain, and he's talking to Cain, and he's talking to me, and he's warning you. Here's what he says, chapter 4, verse 6. And then God, Yahweh, came and spoke to Cain. Why, why this tantrum? Why the sulking? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Now, here it comes. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Cain, you, me, listen, you rule this sin crouching at the door or it will rule you. If you water it, feed it, nurture it, it will take and destroy all things that are precious and good. This jealous passion of yours, Cain, it's gonna take you into bondage. You've given the devil a stronghold. Choose well. Be warned. And he didn't. He chose poorly. Cain killed Abel. That's a stronghold. In the next two weeks, I want us to talk about how to break free of strongholds, but I want us to learn to pay attention to the way we're bent. Like what Kevin was talking about in the last two weeks, but especially last week, Lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and the pride of life, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to go to this trouble like a magnet. We're in a war, and ignorance is not bliss. It leads to you becoming a prisoner of war. And we're going to look, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at two young men from, from a, raised by a perfect father, but with two different vents, and they choose two different strongholds. They do this. Do they want to get well? Do you want to get well? Look at the power of this, of this story. Charles Dickens says, this story is the greatest short story ever written. And the power of the story, I think, is found in that it transcends culture, it transcends time. It could happen in Israel, and it makes perfect sense. It could happen in Austin here, too. It can happen in our lives. Here's the story. You know it. It's the prodigal sons. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And then he began to be in great need. And so he went and hired himself out to citizens of that foreign country 
who sent him into the fields to feed their pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. The prodigal sons. And now let's look at it with a new enhanced understanding of perspective. A perspective on this is, this is not an isolated situation. This is, this is not independent of a spiritual war that's going on in his soul. That he is bent this way and he entertained these thoughts and this is where it leads. This just young son, he had everything. He had, by definition in this story, he had the perfect father to raise him. He had a beautiful house to live in. He had food on his table. He has servants to do his bidding for him. And yet, he lived a life of discontent. Whatever he had, he wanted more, more something else. He wanted to be somewhere else. And he nurtured this ingratitude. And here's what, if you think I'm reading this into the story, let me tell you, you can't come to the place to say what he says without, without allowing it to fester, without allowing it to contaminate your whole way of visualizing life. He demands his, he demands his father give him his inheritance before he dies. I mean, that, that only happens when a person has, this isn't a, uh, a swipe at some temptation where it slips out of his mouth. No, he's, he's nurtured this. And he, he, he wants his inheritance so that he can what? Go far off and get a, a great distance between him and this father that loves him. There's this sin crouching at his door and it wants to devour him. You must subdue it or it will subdue you. And so he doesn't concern himself with this, this tendency towards lust of the eyes. Right? There's, there's, I want to I spend my money any way I want. I mean, I want to spend your money any way I want. There's shiny things that I don't have. Lust of the flesh. I want to go places. You, you take me to school. I'm tired of school. I want to go to Pleasure Island and, and Vanity Fair, and you won't take me there. I want out of here. Do you want to hear the sound of a stronghold? This is how you know you're in bondage. Hey, Dad, I know you're going to die someday, but I'm tired of waiting. Can I have what's mine? That's slavery. He's trapped. And as the story goes, he's living in high cotton. Boy, he goes off to that foreign land, and he fills a four seasons full of all kinds of fair-weathered friends. And then the weather changes. And a famine, a severe famine takes over the land, and now he's destitute. It's really hard for us to appreciate uh, what's happened in his life. This is rock bottom for a Jewish boy. He's, this is a Jewish young man feeding pigs. Okay, Jews, remember? Pigs are unclean, no ham, no bacon, right? He's feeding them. He's serving them. And it says he looks at their food and says, I'd love some of that. And then it says the people that hired him wouldn't give him any. So he's not eating pig food. He's eating leftover food from the swines. That's how far down it can get. Is this freedom? No. This is slavery. Is this a stronghold? 
Oh, it's absolutely a stronghold. <laughs> he had to work at getting here. The devil and his lies, he promises pleasure. All he delivers is pain. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to absorb you. It will enslave you or you will enslave it. Those are the only two choices. Would do you, how much farther, where are you in this story? How much farther do you have to go? Do you want to get well? Because when we look at this passage now, what you're going to see, this young man has a great ending to a story. He does, what we're going to look at is four steps to break free of a stronghold. This is four phases to get out of bondage. This is freedom in Christ, but it's a process. This is the process, okay? So let's, let's take a look at it. Verse uh, 17 of chapter 15, and he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. You hear that? That's the sound of bondage breaking. First step, he wakes up. And he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Deliverance begins when you say, I'm in bondage. Not, oops, I got, you know, I got caught. Or, uh-oh, I did something wrong again. It's when you say, look, I'm in slavery here. This is no minor thing anymore. If you're humble enough and truthful enough to say these things, I'm trapped. I'm living and dying on a harvest of the seeds that I planted. All of those choices, all of those times, I kept leaving the door open, and that's how I got here. People that will not or cannot be freed of strongholds, it's because they're too proud or stubborn and usually self-righteous. But if you just say the words... You come to your senses. I'm enslaved. This is winning all the time. Here's some examples. Let me, just to make sure we're not talking uh, exorcist kind of things, okay? These are examples of strongholds. When you find yourselves in temptations, but you feel powerless to them, you can almost look at other people and say, how can they keep saying no to that? And I keep saying yes to it. When you're losing all the time, you're in a stronghold. And sometimes it's just, it's destructive emotions that are becoming compulsive in the way you walk and feel all the time. Let me just say, uh, resentment and bitterness, envy and jealousy, hate, anger, rage, fear, anxiety, they start defining you, not passing feelings, these passing emotions. No, they're compulsive. They are dominating you. Then it's bondage. Then it's a stronghold. And you have to just admit that. Sometimes you can just find yourself in, in thought loops, and it's just constantly running. It's the, it's the soundtrack you're always listening to. Passion, lust, gluttony, greed. You can't, you can't turn it off. That's a stronghold. And step one is admitting that. It's just saying out loud, it's bigger than me. 
I'm getting killed out here. And the devil doesn't want you to say that. If you're wondering why it's so hard to admit that, that's because we're in a spiritual war. And he, he loves living in your soul rent-free. And so he's going to be telling you, oh, you know, it's just next time you're going to win this thing. Oh, a lot of people are doing this. It's not that bad. Don't get all weird and, you know, you'll be Pentecostal by the end of this thing if you don't careful, right? I mean, we don't want to be weird. He's... If you fail over and over and again, do you th- is that why Jesus died oh, wait, and rose again? He conquered death so you and I could conquer strongholds, right? He wants us to live free, live free, not just from the cost of sin, but he wants to live in victory over bondage. He, he has, he's provided that for us. But the first thing we have to do is... And he came to his senses. The second thing he does is he repents. Listen to how detailed his repentance is. I will, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then he got up and he went to his father. He repents to God and he repents to everyone he's offended. And this is the key. Listen to me. This is the key in repentance. Confession is not repentance. Confession is not repentance. You can't break out of a stronghold with confession, but you re- repentance, repentance will. Repentance will deliver you from bondage. Confession is when you just acknowledge, you admit, yeah, I did that. Repentance says, I'm changing. I have to change the way I think. You can, you can have confession without repentance. You can't have repentance without confession. Even the, even the word repentance means to change your mind. It means to change your mind. And if you look at this particular story, this young man, he changes his mind on four critical areas. The first one is he changes his mind about, about his behavior. He says... I have sinned. Now, when the story started, he wouldn't call those things that he was engaged in sin. He would call it entertainment. He would say, I have a right to this. He said, these are are things I enjoy. But he says, I have sinned. No justification, right? No, No excuses, total ownership on his part. He changes his view about God. He says, I have sinned against heaven and my father. He's under, he understands that God is holy, and he is, he is not a, able to live up to that holiness, that God makes the rules. He decides what is right and wrong, what is ethical and not. This young man changes his view about his father. He says, I will go to him and say, I have sinned against you. He's taking ownership for his responsibilities. I understand that I believed in lies about you. I thought you were withholding good from me. And he changes his view of himself. He says, I no longer, I, I can no longer, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's a long way from his introduction as an entitled young man that should get all his father's stuff that he has coming to him. This, this man has changed, and it's not because he confessed, it's because he repented. Now, the gold standard for repentance. Uh, can be found in ministries that 
know the difference between confession and repentance. These are ministries that have been invented for the purpose of rescuing people out of strongholds. These people, they know what it's like to be in bondage and they know how to get out of bondage and they understand what repentance means in doing that. I'm talking about a really Christ-centered anonymous group, Alcohol Anonymous, for example, or in our own version of that is Celebrate Recovery. These people, they define, they've done a great job in understanding what this means. And so if you go to these places, they'll say, you know what? It is great to hear that you have come to your senses. That is beautiful. You on your way to recovery. So let's spend the next 13 months together and uh, allow you to come alongside someone else so we can help you and get you to this place where you've broken out of a stronghold. Now, if you're thinking 13 months they would say, yeah. I mean, you have a bent this way, and then you've been practicing for how long? It's going to take some time, and we're going to be there for you, and we want to help. Now, let me just tell you, in the context of the leadership of our church, when we say, uh, okay, it'll take 13 months, and we'll be there, and we'll try to make this thing work for you, there's usually two responses. They're Here's, here's the two answers that we get a lot. The first one more popular than the second. The first one is 13 months. Are you crazy? I've apologized. I admitted that I was wrong. You said you forgave me. Where's the grace here? There's no grace here. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving and I'm going to tell everyone I know there's no grace. There's no forgiveness here. I can stop anytime I want. And we're thinking, if you could, you would have. You would have stopped before you did it the first time. And we'll even give you that. But you should have stopped after the first time. You see, sometimes when you go in these stronghold places, you do something you never thought you'd ever do. And on that moment, you realize you're in a stronghold and you've got to get out while it's early. And some people just leave the door open. And there's not a second time, there's a third and fourth and fifth time. So you tell me, do you want to get well? Because there's a warning from God that says there is sin crouching at your door and its desire is to rule you. And it will devour you unless you master it. Now, that's one response. There's another response that goes like this. Okay, 13 months. Wow. Wow. To go, to go more than a year without exploding all over my kids, that's going to be impossible. And then we say, now you're talking. It is going to be impossible. And we're going to do this one day at a time. And there's going to be this great miracle story because you can only do this in the power of the Spirit of God. And then we're gonna, you're going to start replacing these lies with truth. And then we're going to either train your existing friends maybe just one, or give you a new kind of friend that understands the power of strongholds and how to deal with that. Because these types of friends, they understand that love comes with truth. And the truth, it has teeth on it. And between that and these friendships, you're going you're gonna to find, you're going to be a story to be told that glorifies God. That's what it's going to look like. It's, there, see, you see the big difference between repent and just confessing, let me, let me try to shame you into repenting, okay? I'll just, there's nothing I won't do here. So 
uh, this is, it's such a similar experience with all of us. It doesn't matter what your politics is, but have, have you ever watched on television where a politician gets just stuck red-handed, there's no shadow of any doubt, and they can't wiggle out of it, and the news won't change and everything, it's still on them, and then they, they come out and they go, okay, I did that, I, I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I take responsibility for that. And then we think that's going to be awesome. So you're going to return the money with a fine and interest and go before a judge and do whatever they say, maybe even go to jail because you just said, I'll take responsibility. And they say, no, 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 no. No, I meant when I said, I'm sorry, I'll take responsibility, that word, that sentence is taking responsibility. No, no, I'm not even going to resign. I mean, I, I just did. I just did everything I was going to do. That's confession without repentance. So let me summarize. Don't be a politician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's in Proverbs somewhere. Isn't that in the Bible? Don't be a politician. It's, it has to be repentance. Freedom is just on the other side of repentance. It's right there. Wake up. Repent. And reject the lies. Reject the lies. Every temptation is, is because you bought a lie. The foundation that a stronghold is built upon is, is all lies. This son, this younger son, he believed a lie about his father not doing the very best for him. He believed in, in the lie that if he just had more stuff, he believed in the lie that if his passions were satiated, they, they would, if they were fulfilled, he could finally be happy. You have to find the lies you believe and then attack them with the truth that comes in God's word. It ha it's work to be done, but it's work to work. If you look at, if you look at these first three phases, these first three steps in, in breaking uh, out of, out of uh, strongholds, this is, this is hard sledding. You have to wake up to it. You have to do real repentance, and then you have to attack these lies that you've been maybe meditating on your entire life that your bent enjoys reciting. Why do you do that? Because of phase four, because of the fourth step. It is grace transforms. It said the boy went to a far-off, you know, country, so it's a long walk home. And during that time, there was no doubt he was considering how his father was going to respond. If his dad would even acknowledge him, if he'd slam the door, if he said what was rightfully coming to him, you're dead to me. But that's not what happens. Here's what happens. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And so he ran to his son. And then he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts, and the father says to the servants, Quick, go bring me my best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine that was dead is alive again. He who was lost is now found. And so they all began to celebrate. This is a picture of the Father, God the Father. He sees us from a distance and has compassion towards us. 
He sees us. The picture is, you know, how does he do this? Obviously, the father is not resting until he finds the son. He's always the last one to bed. He's always on the third story of the ranch house looking out over the horizon. Maybe this will be the day. Maybe my son will return to me this time. Come on to bed, honey. Okay, I'll leave the light on. You never know. And so when he was just a speck in the distance, the father saw him and had compassion to him. And then he ran. If you've never circled a a word in the Bible, this is the one to start with. The word ran. It's not incidental. It's not accidental. It is included in this story because it was undignified for an older man to run in that culture. It was humiliating. But he doesn't care. One scholar wrote, this is a public display of love and humiliation. This is a love that is scandalous. He sees the boy, has compassion for him, and runs for him. You see, it's not enough to break a stronghold and chase evil spirits from your soul. You have to, you have to let the presence of God in. You need to bathe yourself in the gifts of God. Only, listen to me, only grace transforms always in all areas. Could I just make sure that you don't miss this? He's already the, the father's son. He didn't, he didn't become his son through this second round of grace. He was already his son. He defeated the stronghold by bringing his father's gifts into his life again. He receives his father's gifts. The robe, my best, bring the best robe. What does that mean? He's clothing him in righteousness. It's throughout the epistles. You see that we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We, we show up with rags like this boy. We end up in his robes of righteousness. He says, put a ring on his finger. Little doubt that that means authority. Now you will have the authority that, I, that, that is bestowed upon me. We have authority in the name of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus, we have authority over spiritual things. And he says, sandals on his feet. Slaves were barefooted. This boy shows up barefooted, and he says, no, 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 new identity. You were wear sandals, a whole new life. The father right now is in his watchtower, and he's looking maybe for you, waiting for you to come to your senses, go past confession, go into repentance, substitute these lies for truth, so that he can slaughter the fatted calf and everyone can celebrate. Here's the most popular lie since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church has been believing it for 2,000 years. I know it because it's in the Bible. Listen to the vocabulary. This is Paul writing. I'm not calling you names. He is. He says, you foolish Christians. He says, here's different translations. Who has deceived you? Who has bewitched you? Who has lied to you? Who does that? The devil. And then he says this. Did you receive the spirit of God, your salvation, right? By work, by working, or by putting your faith in the grace of God? By faith in the grace of God. So then he he doubles down. He says, so why are you so foolish, you stupid Galatians, you stupid Christians, Why do you think what you began by grace that you'll perfect by works? 
What you began by the Spirit, you perfect by the Spirit. What you began by grace transforming, you complete by grace transforming. Listen, here's how we say it again. You want to become like Christ in all of life? How? By receiving grace transforms in salvation and then continually grace transform in strongholds and bondage. Watch. It's the same exact outline. Watch this. Here's salvation, right? You become hopeless in ever trying to get righteousness of your own to have an audience with God. And then you repent. And then you apply truth to the lies you believe. And then you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Watch. There's the outline. Now, you're caught in a stronghold. You're getting your tail kicked all over the place. You're feeling yourself hopeless. You keep losing. Then you don't work harder at your little anger problem. You're going to count to 10. How's that been working? Really, ask around. So you, you become hopeless here, and then you repent. You repent of trying to earn your what's called sanctification, becoming like Christ and all, and then you apply truth that grace transforms, and then you're broken out of the bondage. You're set free from the stronghold. You're covering yourself in the righteousness of God, the authority of Jesus Christ, and an identity with the Spirit of God. Boom. That's what, that's what life change looks like. Do you want to get well? He was already the Father's son. This is him growing more like Christ in all of life. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? We have ministries that like strategically focus on how to get out of strongholds and bondage. Certainly celebrate recovery. They have a table in the lobby. They would love to talk to you. Uh, our re-engage ministry is kind of a, a marriage ministry, but it's kind of a long term. It's, it's, it's lengthy. And do you know why? Because it takes a while to break out of a stronghold to replace lies with truth. And then even today, we'll have some leaders come up and they would love to pray for you in a way that reflects this new perspective that we might be living in bondage and in slavery. There's no shame in Jesus Christ. There's no shame when you're wearing the robe of righteousness. So if you see someone snicker, that's on them. They're in slavery. They're on some kind of merit system. Walk with your head up. You're coming home. Come on. Come on. Wake up. Just wake up. <laughs> it's okay. And then repent, not confess. And look at those lies. How long you've been believing and nurturing those lies. There's an evil out there, but there's an evil in here. It's a bent. It's a bent and when we choose to nurture that instead of guarding that, we become a, a victim of our own choices. We find ourselves building our stronghold, giving the devil a foothold. Jesus died, and then he rose again so that we would be free. That we would be free. Let's pray for freedom. I found a prayer. I just tell you that because this is not my prayer. I love this prayer. You're going to be glad we prayed this prayer. I just want to give credit to somebody that prayed this prayer. Pray with me. We're going to pray with authority, like rings on our finger. Father, in the name of Jesus and by the authority of Jesus Christ, I ask you to deliver my brothers and sisters here from the spirit of deceit, that you would open our eyes to the lies of the enemy 
and by the power of your Holy Spirit to replace these lies with the truth that's found in the Bible. I ask in Jesus' name that you would remove spirits of pride and for rebellion, control, and manipulation. In Jesus' name, I'd ask that you would remove spirits of anger and rage and wrath. In Jesus' name, I would ask that you would remove spirits of resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness, spirits of hate and malice and prejudice. In Jesus' name, by his blood, remove spirits of greed and jealousy and envy. In Jesus' name, remove spirits of lust and immorality. Father, with the authority that you've given us, because we are surrounded in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, Remove the spirits of insecurity and fear and anxiety and self-pity, depression, despair, suicide. I'd ask because of the power that we have availed to us that rose you from the dead, power over addiction, obsessive thoughts about controlling feelings that we might have, that the truth of your word, the meditation upon your truth, that your Holy Spirit would give us freedom. Your great love for us would be the prevailing thoughts in our minds. Release us, Lord, from our religiousness, our pride, our selfishness, our judgmental attitude, condemnation of ourselves and others. In Jesus' name, lift the shame off of us, the condemnation, humiliation, and self-contempt. By the power of the blood of Jesus, I would ask that you would heal every sickness and disease that is a direct result of demonic influence. Father, I'd ask that you would give us a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon this church, upon every soul in this church, that your Holy Spirit would make himself at home in our souls and we would enjoy following his direction. Lord, I'd ask that you give us comfort and healing where we hurt. Father, I'd ask that your spirit would give us power and courage to experience your love that we might give your grace and your strength to those around us, that we might feel the resulting freedom and the glory that we get to enjoy in our lives would glorify you as we enjoy grace transforming us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.